0: Welcome to the Mid-Market CFO Circle, an initiative by high radius where we tap into the business and IT challenges that mid-market CFOs face at the office of the CFO. So uh, today for our episode, we have with us Seyentan Datta. Seyentan has over 17 years of business process transformation experience across functions, including 12 years of experience in transforming customer-to-cash operations for global organizations. Um, While he started his career uh, while transforming fulfillment, assurance, and billing operations for global telcos, um, he later on moved on to cross-industry Uh, finance transformation where he has driven numerous uh, transformation journeys for a lot of brands across these years. Um, He has worked across multiple makes and versions of technology, geographies, and a wide spectrum of industries as well. And he has catered to, uh, you know, formulating the uh, transformation journeys for organizations in various stages of growth. Welcome to the show, Sentin. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for the great introduction.
0: You're welcome. So Sentin, you know, with your extensive knowledge and understanding of business process management and outsourcing with experience across sales and innovation life cycles, I wanted to understand, um, you know, with you how companies, how mid-market CFO offices should leverage receivables transformation to enable accelerated growth and expansion. So during this discussion, I'd like to focus on how mid-market CFOs should plan their AR ER processes, their teams, the choice of AR- ERPs that they should be implementing, how should they be managing data to cater business growth for, let's say, a few next uh, decades to come, right, or at least next five to 10 years to come. So in 2022, um, you know, Senthan, what would you say are some of the mistakes that CFOs should be wary of while they're planning their AR automation strategy?
1: Right. And that's a great question. Right. Um, but I know let's sort of shorten the spectrum a little bit because nowadays we're very unsure of what happens in 10 years. But what we've seen in the last two, two and a half years in my personal experiences through my interactions with finance leadership, there are three things that stand out, agnostic of size, industry, scale, which market you're operating, uh, that kind of we need to avoid going forward if we are to um, achieve the desired outcomes, right? The first one is taking a fragmented approach, right? Something in the overall value chain feels broken. Something's taking more effort than it should. Let me go and fix that with digitization. That generally leads to a lot of plug-and-play technology that in the medium and the long run, as the organizations tend to grow, you will change ERPs, you will upgrade software and hardware and infrastructure, and it will cause problems. I've seen this in many companies who are, Beyond mature stage of growth, I've seen this in companies who are just starting up and beginning to see explosive growth that they land into these challenges because of a fragmented approach. The second most important thing that we should not ignore is data, right? Data quality, data integrity, data sufficiency, and an overarching robustness of the data landscape and governance will directly impact the entitlement of any automation and digitization initiatives, right? If I do not focus on, say, my customer data, if I do not focus on making sure that the hierarchies are right, my entire accounts receivable process is gonna suffer. It doesn't matter what technology I put in place for it. If my pricing isn't right, I will end up getting disputes. It doesn't matter what technology I put uh, to fix you know, the efficiency of it, right? Because I'll still be sitting on a lot of disputes. And the last uh, important thing uh, is, is not to adopt a global template philosophy. Right? Because business tends to uh, <clears throat> operate in different channels to different customers. It's uh, growing in different directions. There are new products coming in. Nowadays, more than ever, the new collaborations and new partnerships that we're putting in place. If you take one global template and expect the business to standardize, the one place it always fails is in accounts receipts, Right. Um, so we need to be able to design um, a solution that caters to all the variations of business. And sort of a corollary of all of this is our approach should not be technology driven, right? I should not be picking one platform, one ERP, one solution and then trying and force fitting all my uh, data, my processes into that sort of template. This is the age of composable solutions, right? So the best answer may be in, option B, option C, we can stitch together given the advances we've made in integration technologies, Uh, but let's focus on design, right? The design that needs to be driven by domain, design that needs to be driven by my data visions and design that is led by process considerations. Those are the things that we really need to focus on uh, and and not to do wrong uh, to be able to get the entitlement we're looking for.
0: So, Santan, help me understand one thing, right? So, even at high radius, we talk to a lot of CFOs, and some of the reasons why they uh, do not adopt a technology, for example, a software solution like high Radius, is because they have insufficient data available, right? And because of this reason, they say that, hey, though I do need a solution like yours, which could, which could be for managing their credit risk better or for collecting, uh, increasing their collections efficiency, or it could even be to manage deductions better, right? But at this point when they don't have data, they kind of take a back step. Now for such cases, right, where they say, hey, I need to fix my data first and then only I can go to the next step what would you say is the right approach? Is that okay to step back and not make that progress right now and wait for things to improve and then hop on to the next step? Is that an okay approach?
1: That's an okay approach, but then, so there is an offshoot to that thinking, right? Yes, today I'm not mature enough and if I go with something like a high radius, which is an enterprise-grade solution and insufficiently implement it, it will go wrong, right? But then Taking a step back doesn't mean I put a pause on things. It means that I increase my readiness, right? I start working on developing a data strategy. I start working on um, making sure that I have a view of what my process looks like. Uh, organizations are more interconnected than ever. Do I know how the data is flowing? If not, let me try and um, understand that. And then with the advances that we're making in process mining today, uh, that has become easier overall, right? So. It's always, it needs to be a journey to a maturity and readiness uh, and, and <clears> then <throat> if high radius is the answer, high radius is the answer, right? But for me to be able to deploy that and get the most out of it, I need to have a coherent strategy surrounding domain data and process. And that's, that's at the heart of this whole thing, whether it's high radius or some other platform or basic optimization in, uh, in an ERP, if I don't have a coherent and integrated strategy, I will fail.
0: So let's say now we've come to a stage where a company has figured out their data strategy and they have all the data that they need sufficiently available. right? Now, at this point, uh, what would you say for mid-market CFOs that are eyeing automation should be the key AR processes that sh- they should focus on to build a foolproof plan?
1: Uh, there is no one right answer to this question right i mean it's a it's a great question it's something that a lot of people struggle with and i've seen this struggle happen not for you know platforms but even when deciding on where should i put my robotic process automation even if i'm trying like three bots in the process right so which is the right place to start so that you know i can grow and scale Uh, it depends a lot. It depends on the culture of the organization. It depends on where the pain is, where the scale is. And most importantly, I've seen, instead of picking the hardest problem first, it's better to pick the most optimum problem where you'll get some success. And the probability of success is high, right? Whichever that is, maybe it's a transactional process like cash applications. Yeah, sure. Um, If there's enough entitlement for an outcome and there is a high probability of success in terms of I control the inputs and outputs to the process yes I'll pick cash applications but if it's not the case right I don't have the integrations with my bank ready it's not at the right state of maturity let me look at something that I can control a little better right let me go further upstream and control master data let me go and control credit risk management whichever makes the most sense from a point where I can get some good Outcomes and initial success that then I can help use to fuel uh, you know further scalability. So that's that's sort of a factor in you know which which process you choose. The other thing that is important to remember, especially mid-market companies in you know an accelerated growth phase, there are always like a hundred different priorities going on in the organization, and all of them are interdependent. So my choice um, <clears throat> should ensure that my transformation doesn't stall because the whole organization suddenly pivots to focusing on something else or my choice should not stall growth right so it's 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 that fine balance that you have to pick during the growth phases because i don't want to start putting a very complicated solution and my organization suddenly takes a pivot it acquires a fairly large organization goes into a wholly new market and i'm not ready to onboard the market or onboard the uh, acquisition that I've just made, that will make life more difficult. So again, it needs to be tied to at least a medium term plan in terms of where the organizational growth is happening. And then I choose which process, which area, which market, which business um, to, to make sure that that has the maximum chance of success. And it kind of, to some extent, becomes self-propelling by generating sufficient outcomes and savings from the implementation
0: then, another question on the same lines, right? So what I wanted to also understand, and this is again based on some of the conversations that I've heard at high radius from different CFOs that we've spoken to. So you know, when they've uh, you know, set up a roadmap on how they should be approaching transformation of their AR function, they, they generally end up giving um, importance or prioritize a particular area where the team is making more noise. Right, So there's a possibility that um, there is an AR team of, let's say, 20 people. Out of these 20 people, there are 10 collections people because, of course, you need to have more collectors to collect your due amount. And, And in cases like these, a lot of CFOs, because... That's what's making the maximum noise. They focus on collections, whereas there is a possibility that they're actually, you know, they need processes Im- improved for cash application or they need to onboard their clients quickly and they need to mitigate risk better. So how should uh, CFOs break out of these stereotypes, right? And make sure that they, they, if they have any preconcep- preconceptions, they're able to overcome it. So how should uh, mid-market CFOs look at it?
1: Um, And that's a great question and it goes back to what I talked about when I started off saying a design is tricky, right and design just doesn't mean. um, I'm, I'm sitting in a room somewhere on a whiteboard and I've created design no right, these are things if if I if I assess my collections process accurately, there are multiple reasons, there could be collections noise, right collections noise could be because there's a dependency on sales to go out and set. Right expectations, which they're not growing because, which they're not doing because, you know, it's grow at all costs, right? Uh, noise in collections could be because of a genuine cash flow at the tail end of the supply chain, right? At the, your your lowest level of customers, they are facing a cash flow issue, which has happened a lot in the last two years. Right, <clears throat> the noise is not necessarily a people noise. The noise is a situational noise. The market reality is creating that noise. The noise could be, and some industry This is very true, the noise could be because you just don't have a clean view of the ledger, right? Because like you correctly said, you're not doing your cash applications, right? So therefore a collector doesn't know what should be collected and there, that leads to a lot of noise. So <clears throat> for me to be able to figure that out and for me to be able to design a solution to address the problem end to end in the value chain that starting collections noise could, Originate in master data and credit and disputes and cash applications in the upstream sales and marketing process, in the order management process, could be originating in supply chain, could be just, you know, bad business environment. I need to look at all of that. And then I need to come up with a design uh, that <clears throat> fits into that context, right? But it's agile and scalable enough so that when the context changes that the design can change accordingly. Because, so I'll give you one very, very interesting example I was reading some time back that if you look at the trend of how, you know, working capital metrics are evolving, right? Uh, As we're coming out of COVID, you'll see that, you know, DSOs are going up and the payable outstanding are going up. So uh, some of the mid-market companies, you're going to face pressure at both ends. You're going to face pressure in terms of getting paid and you're going to face pressure in terms of making payments, right? And all the... Uh, good stuff that the governments are uh, sort of giving out through programs to support businesses, that's gradually coming to an end, right? And you're you're moving into an economy that's going to be very different. Um, Not totally different, but significantly different with all the hyper-personalization, the consumerization of B2B that's happening. Credit risk management becomes very important. Now, credit risk management forever has been a control function. Right, it, It's about, okay, an order has gone and hold, let me take a look and see if I can extend some credit, let me push it forward. But that is no longer going to be sufficient because uncertainty is nowadays almost always around the corner. It's either a variant or a political conflict or a geographical conflict. So I need to be able to continuously assess credit risk in terms of expected loss and in terms of probability of loss and how that will lead to specific leakage and then... Can I then try and factor that leakage or that possible loss back into my pricing? So that's how important credit risk management has become. Now, I need to pay that attention to it rather than continuing in the same uh, spirit of credit being a control function as we go forward. So I I hope that sort of gives you a good idea of how I think about design being very important in the context in which I am um, thinking about transformation.
0: So you know that gets me to my next question, right? So when people are putting together this design or you know an AR transformation plan, what weightage should CFOs give to the expected growth that they expect uh, in their business, and why?
1: There's no right answer, right? I mean, it it depends on which stage of growth you are in in the business life cycle. If you're at the you know shakedown stage, there's a different thing you got to think about. If you're in a maturity stage, there's a different thing. When you're you know going for a life cycle extension, there's a different But if you make a list of 10 things, um, it should not be lower than number three, right? Um, And and that's because your transformation, as as I mentioned somewhat before, right? Your transformation is going to either stall because of other initiatives going on in the organization, right? You suddenly, the organization might get acquired or decide to acquire a whole different business, enter a whole different market. And there is a possibility that will stall my transformation. The other thing that can happen is because I'm doing this transformation. So for example, let's assume that I'm implementing a platform and my business is largely focused on, you know, North America, Western Europe. As a business, we decide to now expand into APAC, right? And you know, Southeast Asian countries, uh, uh, they have their whole regulatory and language complex. If I haven't factored that into my design, I will never be able to onboard that market into whatever solution I I have uh, in place in terms of technology, in terms of process, in terms of templates, right? So factoring in that growth plan will ensure that my choice of solution, and remember, I'm saying my choice of solution, not technology, is agile enough, it's scalable enough, uh, there is enough speed to market to be able to onboard. Uh, It has adaptability. The moment I add a new language, how soon can I onboard that market? How um, well can I adjust to the nuances of that language? Whether it's uh, written left to right, top to bottom, it it makes a lot of difference in transactional processes which depend on language-based input. In the Middle East, when you're getting bank statements, which are not in English, if remittance advices that are not in English, will my cash applications process stall, Or do I have translation engines enough to be able to extract data correctly? Right. So that's that's why the growth, uh, you know, the growth plan or the growth strategy is very, very important and should never be lower than at least, you know, number three. I'd put it at number two.
0: So um, can you describe some of the dependencies which are growth averse that CFO's office have built in that they should move away from?
1: so organizational dependencies generally tend to be the most problematic right um, it, it, it let me give you a, a very simple example to be able to do my my invoice offset right i am dependent on supply chain to send me my um, my proof of delivery or send me my returns information on time right to be able to collect from a customer my uh, contract data which is sitting with customer service needs to be available to me otherwise i'm dependent on them so Data dependency is driven by organizational boundaries is a massive uh, growth of us. And it's not really a CFO responsibility. It's how finance gets set up over time, especially in you know high growth phases. Finance becomes an enterprise support function instead of a partner. And therefore, you end up in this place where finance is basically responsible to do all the accounting. And the rest of the organization is focused on growth. Now, it doesn't take very long for concerns of compliance, for concerns of working capital to catch up because selling no matter what, eventually ends up in a a significant amount of mess that retroactively is very difficult to solve. So that's one very big dependency that needs to take care of. The other piece is a dependency on tribal knowledge, right? Um, I have a team of 10 people uh, for, a, a. relatively small customer base in the space, uh, my collector really knows my customer, right? And, and the way they want their things happen, the frequency at which they want their account statements uh, being sent to them when they want their reminders. When you lose that person, you lose the relationship with that customer. And that customer could account for 5% of your revenue, which means that you're opening yourself up to potential, you know, past working capital risk. At worst, you're leading up to revenue risk right because at the end of the day the customer is dissatisfied and you have to end up writing it off. that's a direct hit to your PNL. right so it's important to be able to remove dependencies on individual people it's always a people uh, business right so it's not that you get rid of people but you should not lose knowledge because loss of knowledge poses as great a risk as loss of revenue or you know your defaulting customer and those are you know sort of two things that in my experience we need to focus on um in terms of what dependency should i attack when i need to sort of design for the next uh, phase and transformation the next phase and digitization
0: absolutely and since then in the very beginning we talked about dependency on technology as well right where we spoke about how when companies are very comfortable with one kind of software they kind of you know stop to move forward to the next right and uh, maybe Let's say, if to a problem, high radius is a solution for many numerous other reasons, they think that all right, let's put that on a pause and be happy with what we have at the moment. It's for cases like these. um, Is that something that you feel works out? Because uh, it is, in a way, hindering the ability of the CFO office to scale as the company grows. Yeah.
1: And and as long as there's a plan, right? I mean, yes, we should not get comfortable on our laurels, which is, you know, age old cliche, but. Um, as long as there's a plan to continuously improve, whether that improvement uh, happens in big jumps or small incremental steps, right? Uh, fixing my um, data strategy is a small incremental step. Because, But if I get that right, then the pain that I think I'm going, going to feel when I switch from one technology of comfort to another technology will be significantly reduced. right? Because if you think about it, when we... Uh, when, when, When you talk to CFOs, when you talk to financial leadership, and you start to lay out dependencies and risks, these become your biggest dependencies, right? Is my organization mature enough to undertake something like this? Do I have the right digitized data? Is my data structured enough to work with it? Do I have processes that follow at least some semblance of rules, right? These are all small incremental things that you can do towards getting to that readiness where I can take the next leap. So as long as there is a blueprint to get there, it's it's okay to take it slow, right? Because if you rush into it, I said that, yes, I'll have a great technology, but it's not gonna be doing anything. I've seen plenty of platform deployments where the platforms there, right? It's a great case study and a showcase but all the teams are working around it, right? That because they've got to create so many workarounds uh, because I've driven a platform into a design where you know, contextually I was not ready
0: for it. So, uh, you know, we are coming to the end of this podcast, uh, Santhan, so and I wanted to understand, you know, in fact, I wanted to ask you what your parting thoughts or parting recommendations would be for CFOs who are right now rethinking their AR function in 2022 and, you know, beyond.
1: So number one, uh, focus on design, right? Get the design right, make sure that the end-to-end context is built into that design. Once we have that, what technology I choose will really not matter because we're at the end of the day, solving a particular problem, and there are many different ways to solve that problem. So, uh, you know, Sometimes I, I talk to uh, finance leadership and everybody wants to experiment with AI or somebody wants to touch on blockchain. If I don't have design right, if I don't have my data strategy in place, AI blockchain, nothing's going to work. We, we all have uh, great implementations with no results. Right? So that's number one. Right, Number two, and I mentioned this, that the growth plan, the future strategy needs to be factored into that design is one of the important things. I, because growth for you know, a, a Fortune 500 company, if they grow into a new market or a new product, the net impact of that is really small in their overall portfolio. But for mid-market companies, expanding into a new product, a new market, a new group of customers or a new price segment is a significant impact on their overall portfolio. Right. So my, my transformation needs to have the ability to flex, to adjust. Right. And the third is, we need to pick the right business outcomes to measure success because it's accounts receivable doesn't mean day sales outstanding needs to be the most important metric no it is the most important metric would be compliance the most important metric would be you know revenue leakage the most important metric uh, of success would really be customer experience is, is is have i been able to establish the relationship because at the end of the day if i've sent my invoice out to my customer at the right time in the right configuration with the right information i will get paid um nine times out of ten right it's it depends on what outcome really matters to the business i mean and to my customer and we need to focus on making that the measure of success instead of just focusing on um efficiency in, you know, headcount terms, and the one thing that can be benchmarked against uh, the rest of the world. So those are my sort of, you know, three summary thoughts based on many success and failure stories that I've seen uh, in in terms of driving transformation across organizations, uh, finance organizations.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking time and sharing your expertise with us today. I'm sure that listeners are going to, you know, uh, get a lot of benefit from it. So thanks a lot. And uh, for our listeners out there, stay tuned. We'll be back with more episodes with experts such as them then in time to come.